this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Today we are kicking off a new four-week Advent series titled Comfort and Joy. Now, some of you may be like, what exactly is Advent? Uh, I haven't heard that word in a year. I don't remember what it means. What exactly is Advent? And so if you don't know, Advent is the beginning of the church calendar or the liturgical calendar. And so the liturgical calendar exists to help the church, Christ followers, to celebrate and understand the mystery of who Jesus Christ is. And so it begins with Advent, the season of preparation for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's followed with Epiphany, and then there's Common Time, and then we eventually get into Lent, which is the 40 days preceding Easter, and then we would celebrate Easter and move into Common Time again until we swing back around. Now, we as a church here at New Life Community Church do not follow the liturgical calendar and everything that we do. We don't preach from that, but we do appreciate the calendar because it causes us and others to pause and to reflect and to remember who Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but anything that focuses our attention on Jesus, I give an enthusiastic thumbs up to. So although we're not following it precisely, we are in this Advent season. And so Advent is the first four weeks of the liturgical calendar, and it begins today. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And if you are in a more traditional church, which you're not today, we might have a candle set up here in which there would be five candles. There'd be four on the outside and one in the middle. And some churches right now on this Sunday all across America and really across the world, what they do is they come to this candle set and they light the very first candle. And each week when they gather, they light an additional candle until it becomes Christmas Eve or Christmas Day in which they light the center candle. And so each of the candles represents something. They each have symbolism. The first candle represents hope, the idea that when Jesus comes to earth, he is going to bring hope. And without Jesus, we have no hope. We don't have hope. And so when we look forward to the advent of Jesus, when we look forward to the arrival, that's what advent means, his arrival, then we would have hope. So the first week we would light the candle of hope. And then if we gathered next week, we would light the second candle, which is the candle of anybody? Peace. Because without Jesus, there's no peace in our world. He brings a peace that surpasses your circumstance. He brings a peace that's bigger than what you're seeing on the news. He's able to bring a peace that conquers all of the things going on inside of our heart. Then the third week, there's another candle. It's normally a pink candle. The other ones are purple. I don't know why the color coding system is the way it is, but it is. The, thir- the third one is the candle of joy. And I think it's fun that it's colored differently because it's kind of like that weird uncle you have that tends to be more happy than the rest, and he's just different. So that candle is the candle of joy, and we remember that when Jesus comes, he is able to bring us joy. It's not just happiness, but there's a joy in knowing that we belong to our creator, that we are walking in right relationship with him, and that we're not alone in this world. There's something about that that's joyful. So we've got the candle of hope. We've got the candle of peace, the candle of joy. The fourth candle would represent the candle of love. 
that when Jesus comes, we actually understand what love is. We have our own version of it, but when we look at him, we understand what true love is. And then the center candle is what's called the Christ candle. And it is the one that's the final one to be lit, normally on Christmas Day, sometimes on Christmas Eve night, and it represents Jesus Christ. And when we light it, it represents that the light of the world has come. That no longer do we have to walk in darkness, but Jesus has brought light into our dark worlds. Pretty cool, right? And a lot of times when you go to a traditional church, sometimes it's never explained and you just kind of go through some ritual motions, but I love the depth of meaning that is behind those things. And today we are on day number one, the first Sunday of Advent as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. Y'all with me? Now, while we have this season here, it's kind of unique because Jesus already showed up, right? So it's like, are we just doing a replay here? Are we just acting like he's not here and just going to like stir ourselves up? Well, part of Advent is us reflecting on the fact that he came the first time, which was a really big deal. But there's also this tension that we have because he has already came, but he's promised that he's going to come again. There's the first advent, which is the incarnation, God becoming man. But there's the second advent, which we sometimes refer to as the second coming. And we look forward with expectation to when he comes again. That's pretty cool. And so right now, we are kind of in this in-between. We're in between these two arrivals, these two advents. And while we live on this side of the first advent, things that were said about the first advent through prophets like Isaiah, we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, this was said hundreds of years before Jesus showed up the first time. It says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Who is that light? Jesus. Remember the Christ candle? That's the whole thing. It's Jesus. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then we fast forward just a few verses, and it says this, that for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Pretty cool. We live on the other side of this promise. We live on the side in which the light has been seen. But if we're honest, we feel as though our world is still pretty, pretty dark. And sometimes we wonder, where exactly is the light of Jesus? There's something that I want to encourage you to do if you haven't. I know a number of you have. We're going to put up a little URL here. But each day this month, from December 1st through December 25th, we have an Advent devotional that you can sign up for. So if you go to newlifecasey.com slash Advent, you can say, hey, I want to sign up for that. And every morning, what we're going to do is we're going to email you a devotional that allows you to look at the story of Jesus' first arrival through one of the characters of the Bible. And so maybe we're looking at that story through the eyes of Gabriel the angel, or through Mary, or through 
any of the shepherds or through different people. And so it's a really cool thing. It's free. If you want to sign up for it, I encourage you to do so. And your first email, like you sign up, it will hit your inbox tomorrow morning. And then you can just be with us for the rest of the Advent study. So if you want that, that's available to you. Now, here's something I learned this week as I've been kind of refreshing myself on Advent and where it came from, is that for centuries, like literally hundreds of years, Anglicans and Episcopalians have kicked off the Advent season on this first Sunday of Advent with a specific prayer that they would pray. It's part of their ritual. And for years, it was something that they read every uh, Sunday of Advent, but now it just kind of is the first Sunday. And so here's what it says. We'll put the prayer up here. And here's how the prayer goes. It says, Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. That's a pretty dense prayer. It's like, what exactly did he say? What was going on there? There's some, there's some stuff going on there. And, and it's very rich in, in depth and theology there. And a lot of times it can just go over our heads. But if we slow down, there's one phrase that I want to point out in there. It says that now in the time of this mortal life, like you realize that we are in that mortal life right now. We're not going to live forever, but now in this time that we are living here on the earth, there's some things that we are dealing with, that we are experiencing in 21st century, that we did not live before the first advent, that we are on this side of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, but we're also to the not yet, right, of his second coming. And so this is where we are bearing witness to what has happened, but we're also waiting expectantly for what is to come. And this is the idea that sometimes you hear of already, but not yet. We are living in the already, but not yet. In other words, like as believers, as Christians, we're actively taking part in the kingdom of God, although the kingdom of God will not reach its full expression until sometime in the future. We are already in the kingdom but we do not yet see the kingdom in all of its glory. We are in the already, but not yet. If we were to put that into a graphic, because I want to hit the point home, you are the stick figure. (laughs) And you exist in between Jesus' birth, the first advent, and the second coming, in which he's going to come and set the world right. Like, sometimes you're like, man, the world's just getting worse and worse. Hey, good news. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make it all good. And we often want, like, we pray, like, God, would you do that now? God, have you watched CNN lately? There's some stuff going on. Would you come back? <laughs> all right. We live in this in-between. Now, now we feel out in that little stick figure that, man, our world is, it's hard. Our, our world is dark. But can I tell you? I think that it's better to live where we live than if we live before Jesus' birth. That's way harder. See, when Jesus came, he, he provided something for us that he actually enabled us to be set free from the bondage of sin. We no longer have to be slaves to our 
old desires and ways of being, um, he actually enabled us to be given the ability to live a new life. And he made this cool promise. He says, I'm going to send my helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. See, those living before Jesus' birth didn't have the help of the Holy Spirit to live their lives. So when you were struggling with whatever you were struggling with, it was you struggling with it. But now, you don't struggle alone. God is with you through the power of his Holy Spirit that indwells you as a believer. So cool. And although we may feel our world is dark, we have God's Holy Spirit with us to enable us, to equip us, to give us power. Super cool. But we have a tension because we're in the already And so the question is this, how do we live in light of Jesus' ministry while waiting for his expected return? As we're in the in-between, how are we to live? Are we just to be passive and like, well, I just hope he comes soon? Or are we to be doing something? Are we, how, how exactly are we to live in the in-between? Because in the in-between, you know it, I know it, life is hard. What was the old saying? The struggle is real. We are in the moment like, oh, it's so hard. It's maybe not as hard as it would have been before Jesus' birth, but we still feel like life is hard. And I think we would all agree that the world is still broken. People are broken. Relationships are broken. Governments, they're broken. We deal with suicide and alcohol abuse. People addicted to prescription drugs. We have so many people who in a variety of ways are trying to, even if temporarily, escape from the brokenness of this world. If I can just numb myself out to this world, I'll feel better. Or so they believe. And there's this desire to escape the brokenness of this world. Even though we all recognize, yeah, our world's still broken. And for those who have had that in your past where you've tried to escape, yeah, maybe you feel some temporary relief from your problems, but as soon as you come back around, as soon as you sober up, it's worse. You didn't do anything to fix it. You masked it. And now you realize that you're more broken than just the world around you. But it's interesting as we approach Christmas, like Christmas is special, isn't it? There's something about this time of year. We like Christmas. And even though our world is broken, during the holiday season, it's like our broken world manifests an atmosphere that's unlike any other time of the year. We're decorating trees. We're we're hanging lights on our house, which really was to be an example of like the light of Christ in the world. We're lighting up the darkness. Um, Music is uh, reverberating through your homes. Uh, There's Christmas music in your office. There's Christmas music at the store. There's Christmas music everywhere you go. I'm about to turn into Dr. Seuss and start rhyming this thing. From Spotify to Apple Music, like, there's Christmas music. And the debate right now is, well, when should you set your Christmas tree up? I don't know if you've seen this on social media. Some people are like, well, as soon as Halloween's over, that Christmas tree's up in the house. And people are like, well, no, you're overlooking Thanksgiving. And then you have the people who are like, no, we're not putting it up till after Thanksgiving. We are firm believers in this. We all have kind of our thing. And Christmas music and this time of year, we, we love it. Like even people who don't know Jesus, there's something about this time of year that they 
are attempting in whatever way they can to, to grasp something that seems magical, something that seems not broken in this world. They know that the world's broken, but there's something about this time of year that it's going to be different. I don't know what it is, if it's a, a grasping towards just a feeling or a sensation. Maybe it recalls a past memory of when life seemed easier. Or, or maybe people want this magical moment because they're trying to manufacture a desire and feeling for the future. You can call it what you want, but, but people tend this time of year to exhibit more joy, more kindness, more generosity, more than any other time of the year. Now, I also get that while that's a pretty general statement, it's not true of everybody. Not everybody sees this as a magical time of year. Uh, Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge would look me in my face and say, bah humbug. (laughs) Uh, The Grinch would be standing right beside him being like, that's right, Scrooge. Like, not so good. Which, by the way, we're doing a lot of Grinch stuff at our church which I don't know why we've picked him as our character for the season. We could have gone a lot of ways, but we've, we're doing a lot of Grinch stuff. And so I've been watching like the old classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How many of you guys have seen that movie? came out in 1966. Some of you, wow, you haven't raised your hands? All right, so if your neighbors have fallen asleep, they need to watch that movie or they need to wake them up. Uh, there was uh, an abomination. Oh, that's not the right word. There was whatever Jim Carrey did to the movie, and we just, you know, we don't talk about that. But the original, Dr. Seuss's, you know, the How the Grinch Stole Man, it was a great movie. And so I watched that with my boys the other day, but then they told me that there's a new animated movie called The Grinch. And it came out in 2018. I hadn't seen it, so I watched it with the boys the other night. And it was fun because they redid some of the songs. They had Run DMC on there, and they, 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 they made it fun. It was a more contemporary version. But what caught me in the movie, I really wasn't expecting this, was that at the beginning of the film, they've got the Grinch, and he's, you know, a mean one, and, you know, you wouldn't touch him with a 33-and-a-half-foot pole, and you have all the things. And so he's walking through Whoville because he wanted to buy enough food to survive the Christmas season so he didn't have to deal with the people of Whoville, but he, like, emotionally ate all of his food, and so then they didn't have food. So him and Max, his dog, had to go down to town to buy food, and they wanted to do it before Christmas because they can't stand Christmas, but everybody's decorating Christmas. So you have him walking through Whoville as the Grinch, and uh, there's a group of carolers, and this group of Whoville carolers are singing a song. And, and here was the wild thing. I thought about, like, the writers of this. They could have had these carolers singing any song. They could have been singing Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Lady. They could have been singing that. They could have been singing Frosty the Snowman. They could have been singing uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. They could have been singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. They weren't singing any of those songs. In this animated film that has nothing to do with Jesus, this group of carolers, you know what they were singing? God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. You remember the next line? Remember Christ our Savior is born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Now, I was not expecting that to be in the Grinch movie. And it was so good. Like, they were good singers. My wife's like, I think that's pentatonics. And I'm like, it might be. And so it was. Um, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all. Not just some, to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Man, that's some powerful Christian doctrine. The gospel in a song. 
Sometimes we, we, we hear these old songs, and I think sometimes the meaning of them is lost. Kind of like we talk about Advent, or we read a prayer that the Anglicans and the Episcopalians would read, or we think about like the, the candle stand and, and the Advent candles. They all have symbolism and meaning, but I think sometimes when we get to songs like this, we don't really know what it means. Like, God rest ye, Mary, jump. What in the world are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, I like that song, and I like the next part, but like, what is God rest ye, Mary, gentlemen? So I was reading, and there's a guy by the name of Eric Raymond who wrote about this in, in the understanding of that word rest in God rest ye merry gentlemen. Here's what he said. He says, the use of rest is not from the Germanic root meaning, our usual rest, which means like to cease from work or motion, but it's more from the Latin root meaning to continue in or remain. It's most commonly preserved in the word a rest to hold someone firmly. So God rest ye merry gentlemen might better be said in our understanding that God arrest ye merry gentlemen. God hold firmly ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. How cool is that that we have a God who holds us. All we have to be is merry. And some of you are like, I'm not a gentleman. It's okay. You're included. God rest ye. God hold thee. God arrest thee in his love. And remember Christ our Savior. Yeah, he was born on Christmas Day. And the reason he came? Yeah, to save us all from Satan's power because we were all gone astray. And then what's the main refrain of the song? Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. And if saying it once wasn't enough, Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. I like how they just reiterate it. So over the next four weeks of our Advent series, what's the name of it? Oh, you guys are so good. You guys are so good. I put it on the screen. Here's the deal. Even though I think we all get our world is broken, even though we're in the in-between, although we're living in the already but not yet, comfort and joy are available to you and me. How do we live in the light of Jesus' ministry and the fact that he hasn't fully returned in his glory yet? We get to walk this out with comfort and joy. But how exactly does God, through Jesus, give us comfort and joy? Do we just simply pray for it, kind of like we're sitting on Santa's lap asking for what we want for Christmas? I want comfort and joy. And then somehow we wake up one day and miraculously, wow, I have comfort and I have joy. Is that how it works? Is it just a supernatural thing and like you were a grump one day and then the next day you're not? Oh, I'm just so comforted, so full of joy. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I think if it was a gift... It would be like what you got last year for Christmas. You don't remember what you got last year for Christmas because you move past it. You move beyond it. It's not still giving. It's still not making you happy. It's still not providing what you wanted. I think if God just simply gifted it to us, we would move beyond it and we would look for something more. We would still be in want. 
But I think the cool thing about what God does, because he knows us better than we know ourselves, is that comfort and joy, he says, no, these are not independent gifts that I just simply give you. Rather, comfort and joy are attributes of who I am. And as you walk with me, and as you talk with me, and as you do life with me, you're going to get all that I have, which means that comfort and joy are found when you're in relationship with Jesus. It's not something he gives me that I walk away from him and have. No, it's only found as I'm with him. And the Bible does this crazy thing where it introduces the relationship we're supposed to have to Jesus where the comfort and the joy are found. And do you know what the relationship is? It's where he becomes our shepherd. Which sounds cool until you take the next step and you're like, well, that means that I'm a sheep. Meh. I don't know about you, but most of us don't like being sheep. Most of us like to be in charge. Most of us like to call the shots. Most of us like to lead our own lives. Most of us like to have some authority. But the relationship available to us is not one in which we are a shepherd, but in which we are just simply the sheep, and we submit to him as our shepherd. The Christian Study Bible says that in the ancient Near East, kings were commonly known as shepherds of their people, which is interesting. And since the Lord Jesus is the true king, well, the title shepherd seems most appropriate. And so here's the thing. If we want to experience comfort and joy this December and really while we're in this mortal life, it's only found when we allow Jesus to shepherd our lives. And the prerequisite for us allowing him to shepherd us, two things. you got to come to grips with the fact that you're a sheep. If you don't think you're a sheep, he can't shepherd you. Okay, I'm just a sheep. I'm not as big a deal as I thought I was. Humility. Okay, that's the starting point. And then number two, you can't just be humble and be like, all right, I want you to be my, um, my shepherd now. He's like, cool, now you have to become a part of the flock. Uh, i got to be around those other sheep. Please, Lord, they smell. They're not good. I don't want to be around them. But we... If we're going to experience the true comfort and joy, we don't get to walk out this relationship with God separated from the flock. The comfort and joy is found when we are together with him looking over us. I found this picture of a shepherd watching over his sheep. Most of us don't ever think about sheep or shepherds, but here is a shepherd watching over his sheep. And you know what those sheep are able to experience? Comfort. They ain't got to worry about a thing. Shepherd's got his eyes up. Anything's an attack, he got it. I'm just going to put my head down here, and I'm going to eat. Oh, time to move? The shepherd's moving me. Okay, cool. Pretty comfortable, pretty joyful. Now, if you don't stay in the flock... You're open to all sorts of things to happen to you that God wouldn't desire. You have to recognize, one, I'm just a sheep. And two, I got to belong and stay in the flock. Don't run away from the flock. God wants to watch over you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to protect you. He wants to be your shepherd. So this morning, I want us to just look quickly at Psalm chapter 23. 
A lot of people are familiar with this psalm. It's a psalm of King David. Um, in fact, my, my, my uncle Ed, I remember at one point in time, tried to memorize this chapter. I don't know if he still remembers it. That face says that he does not. But Psalm 23, this is a good one. Uh, you've heard this. We'll read through it. It's just six verses. If you want to memorize it, man, that would be awesome. Uh, but we'll read this from the New American Standard Version, and then we'll kind of go back and we'll, we'll slow it down and see if we can make some better understanding of it. Verse number one, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a good one, isn't it? Let's go back to verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a good thing to declare, right? It's a good reminder. Maybe some of you, need, every morning, you need to start that way and say, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Have you thought about that? We all have a lot of wants. I have little boys, and they're being exposed to commercials, and their want is increasing. Dad, have you seen that toy? And I'm glad that we live in a streaming land in which there's not very many commercials, unlike my childhood, in which it was every cool thing ever. Uh, but we find ourselves as people in want. But when the Lord is my shepherd... I don't want anymore. Somehow or another, whatever I wanted before he was my shepherd, in him, in this relationship, all my wants have been somehow or another satisfied. I don't want any longer. It doesn't mean that I got what I wanted, but somehow or another, my desire for the thing that I wanted before I met him, I don't know where that went. That's not there anymore. The Lord is my shepherd, and I, I shall not want. I'm... I'm not lacking anything that I need. Matthew 6.33 comes to mind in which Jesus says, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. When you are in the flock and Jesus is your shepherd, I don't, I don't have any wants. I got everything I need. And how cool is he? What kind of shepherd is he? Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you know why he makes me lay down? Because I ain't smart enough to. I just got to keep on going. Oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to rest. I've got to get things done. I'm productive. I am American. And he's like, hey, lay down. But I want to go. No. And he's not making you lay down in like miserable areas. You're not in the ghetto. Green pastures. That's a good shepherd. Oh, what else does he do? Oh, he leads me beside quiet waters. Do you want God to lead you? Wouldn't that be good? I don't know what to do next in my life. Hey, don't worry. God will lead you. Oh, not only will he lead you, check this out. He restores my soul. Oh, gosh, we've had some damage done to our souls in our life. Sometimes of our own volition, we made some dumb choices that have impacted us. 
And then there's other times that other people have made choices that have impacted us. There feels sometimes like things have been stolen, taken from us. Guess what? He restores everything you need. He restores my soul. Not only that, he guides me in the path of righteousness for my name's sake. I don't know about you, but I'd like God's guidance. God, what should I do? Where should I go? God? He's like, I got you. And then it kind of changes tones here as we go to verse 4. This is kind of the familiar verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which sounds horrible, right? You're not on top of a mountain. You're in a valley, and you're being shadowed by death. I'm going to die. But somehow or another, even on the darkest, most trying hour of my life, I don't have to fear. Why? Because God is with me in the valley, in the shadows. Oh, that's pretty cool. He didn't send me through the valley and say, hey, I'll meet you on the other side. No, no. I'm going to walk through it with you. I know it's not going to be fun, but I'm going to be with you. We'll do this together. You have comfort and joy every step. And then it says that your rod and your staff, you think about a shepherd with a staff and, and he's got a rod. Somehow these devices, they comfort me. The staff is directing me and guiding me and the rod's protecting me from dangers coming in and threats. And then we have this verse that, I don't know if we like, but you prepare a table before me. I think it ought to say, in my presence. Like God's like, I'll prepare a table for you in my presence. He doesn't do that. I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. <laughs> what? How about we don't do the enemy thing? Uh, you know, God, you can do anything, right? How about we just get rid of all of the obstacles, challenges to life? We'll enjoy a good meal in private. Dinner for two. He's like, nah. I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And, and I'm going to anoint your head with oil until your cup overflows. You're not just going to get enough to get through. You're going to get more than enough so that your cup overflows. You're going to have not just enough for what you need, but enough to give to others. And then there's this final verse that says, Surely, surely the goodness and loving kindness will follow me. The idea is that it will pursue me all the days of my life. As I studied this What's this verbiage here of will follow me or pursue me? That verb is normally used of like attackers coming to get you. But here, it's the Lord's goodness and faithful love that are pursuing me. And they're not just pursuing me for a season. They're pursuing me all the days of my life as long as I live. That's pretty cool. I'm in this flock. I have comfort and joy. My shepherd is here, and he's so good that he's pursuing me with goodness and loving kindness. It's as though he's behind me saying, I love you. I got you. Man, I got good things for you. Let's go. Come home. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. Hey, I know that you're hurt. I know that you're broken. I'm going to restore your soul. I got goodness for you. Let's keep going. I know you want to quit. Don't quit. I'm going to pursue you with goodness and loving kindness. Come on. You're my kid. Let's go. I believe in you. Come on. I'm going to pursue you. Nope, nope. You're taking the wrong step. 
I'm not rejecting you. I'm still pursuing you. Come on. Come on. I think being shepherded is really good. It's humbling. I'm not in charge. But it's so relieving that it's not in my power. I get to trust and rely on him. It's not my strength, my smarts, my discipline that's going to get me through. No, it's the shepherd. All I have to do is remain in the flock. I need to not run away. And as long as I stay in the flock, he will lead, restore, guide, protect, comfort, pursue me with goodness and loving kindness. So to bring this message kind of to a close today, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is in this room. And he wants to be your shepherd. He's not going to force himself into your life, but he's ready for you to invite him to lead you, to guide you, to restore your soul, to pursue you with loving kindness and goodness all the days of your life. The problem for some of us is that we don't necessarily want him to shepherd us because we're being shepherded by someone or something else, and this other thing has promised us all of these things, but but the truth of the matter is, is that it's only when the Lord is my shepherd that I will not have want. When I allow anything else to lead me, to guide me, when I'm focused on achievement in my own power, I'm always going to find myself in want. I just need a little more. I just need what I don't have. It's only in Jesus as my shepherd that everyone is satisfied. It's interesting, I talked about the Grinch earlier, and if you've seen the movie, and I know some of you are like, I need to go watch that movie now, you guys are talking about it too much. In the movie, The Grinch, he is a Grinch. But here's the deal, nobody in Whoville tried to change the Grinch. I don't know if you knew that or not. They didn't go up and knock on his door and try to, like, change him. What changed the Grinch? It was the joy that he witnessed in all the lives of the Whovillians. I don't know if that's the right word. It's only when he witnessed the comfort and joy that these people walked around with and lived with that he had a desire to change. And I think for you and I, there are people who are like the Grinch in our lives. And maybe you've tried to change them. And maybe it was done from a good heart. But can I tell you, the thing that's going to change people is when they witness your life. And they see you walking with a comfort and joy that it don't make no sense. When, when people know your story and they see how you're responding, something's different. They want that. They desire that. We have an opportunity, I believe, this Christmas season to example for the world what it means to be in the family of God to be in right relationship with him as our shepherd. And I think that there's something so appealing about that, that people will surrender their kingdom for the kingdom of God. And I think that as we are in the already but not yet, that's the best place that we can be, is spreading the good news of Jesus. How cool. How cool. If you guys would, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I thank you as we start this Advent season 
as we are preparing our hearts to celebrate your arrival, we are living in this tension, God, that you have came, and we never want to negate the fact that that's a really big deal, that you so love the world, God, that you sent your only son to be born of a virgin named Mary in a town called Bethlehem, to live a perfect life, to die a wrongful death, but to take upon you the sins of humanity and to forgive us of those and not only just set us free from that past, but Lord, you have a future for us and you desire for us to walk in right relationship with you. And as we go through life connected to you, our Savior, that's where the greatest fulfillment and fruitfulness and joy in our life will ever come from. Oh God, may we not try to do this on our own power only to find ourselves at the end of ourselves. God, I pray that we would just learn in this moment that we need to be shepherded. And God, as we stay in the flock, as we push into who it is that you want us to be, God, I pray that we would be like you were, a light for the world, and that those who are walking in darkness might see your light living inside of us. And Lord, may that draw them to you. May they come like, like bugs in the summer to a light. Lord, I pray that there would be a drawing that people would have as we, your people, walk out the faith, the trust, the confidence that it's not about us, but it's about you. I thank you, God, for this Sunday and the opportunity we have as we enter into the Christmas season to experience your comfort and your joy. Please be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.